Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. In our anticipation series, we're going to be moving on to our next word, adore. Of all of the four words, this word, probably more than the others, encompasses all of these four words kind of into one word or the other three into this. But uh, since we moved to our new place, I brought a picture of uh, what's happening in my front yard in the garden there. And, and uh, so, you know, that prosperity gospel thing or whatever they, I don't, that's all just overrated kind of thing. But anyhow, I got a picture of this car. Does anybody know what kind of car that is or vehicle that is? What is it? Lamborghini, yeah, I didn't know, and I figured I should know. So when I put it in there, I thought, okay, Tom, remember that's a Lamborghini. And usually when people see a picture like this, like if this were this car were sitting there and you had gone to this place to see this, or if you're at the mall and this car usually pulls up, people just like, like unbelievable, like everybody's attracted to this. And here's the word they often use to describe this, right? What do they say? Awesome. For some of you who don't know, I got really hung up on the word awesome a while back. And interesting enough, when you go through the scriptures and you look for the word awesome, if you just do a word search on awesome, it's not even used in the New Testament at all. It's used a number of times in the Old Testament. And every single time the word is used to describe God or the place where God is or what God has done. And so in my own vocabulary, and those of you who've been around for a while will know that I don't use the word awesome for anybody other than who? And for God, because I want to describe God. So I realize when people walk up, they go, hey, man, that's really awesome. And they'll do that for pictures like this, right? You go out and you have a burger, and the guy sitting across the table, and he goes, man, that's like the most awesome burger I've ever seen, you know? And you're like, dude, get real. It's, it's just a burger, okay? And God is really awesome. This is just something that's going to, it's going to taste really good. Kind of looks good just, just looking at it. Think about this in light of awesome. I like what Paul David Tripp says. He is awesome, speaking of God now, in power for us. He is awesome in sovereignty for us. He is awesome in mercy for us. He is awesome in wisdom for us. He is awesome in love for us. He is awesome in holiness for us. He is awesome in patience for us. He is awesome in faithfulness for us. He is awesome in grace for us. What he is... He is for us, and we would say God is God is awesome. So awesome is a descriptive word to describe for us who God is. So on to our word for today, adore or adorable. Now, this is something that we might say is adorable. Okay, everybody go like, oh, man. How many of you love dogs? Raise your hand. Okay, there's no picture of a cat up here, by the way, so you can promise I wouldn't put... No cats are adorable, right? (laughs) Don't write me on that later. But anyhow, these dogs are really adorable. This is a phrase or a term we use to describe something as an expression from our heart to communicate something. We might say it like this as well. Oh, she is... Say the word. She is so adorable, right? Okay, so, so just the way that we use awesome, I want to introduce for you a new way to use the word adorable and to use it in such a way that I think reflects how this word has greater meaning and greater value and communicates, I trust for you, 
how you feel about God in a greater way. So I'm not minimizing that that's an adorable baby or those are adorable dogs. I'm just saying this word is so, so rich and so heavy and so deep that I want us to grasp it in light of God. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to put a couple scriptures on the screen, and then I'm going to um, come back to this passage in Mark. So take your Bible or your device, your phone, your tablet, whatever you might have. And um, Pastor Mark's given some outlines with some fill-in-the-blanks. You might want to fill in all the blanks today because there's probably a reason that that would be a double benefit for you today. You get what I'm talking about now? You following me? Okay, get your pen out. It'll be of value to you, not only for what you gain through what we're talking about today, but maybe something even at the end. So adora is seen in its meaning. Now, in the Luke chapter 2 passage that uh, Mark and Adele, or uh, Herbert and Adele read this morning, is a picture of what it was like for the shepherds when they came to adore Christ. So it's interesting enough, in the, in the New Testament, the word adore, or in the whole Bible, the word adore is not found at all. So even as we were thinking about the four words for this series, we knew that the word adore is not in the scriptures. Yet at the same time, there are indications of the word adoration being used in the scripture. For example, the passage that we read earlier from Luke 2, and particularly in verses 15 and 16, the shepherds, without haste and immediately, went to find the baby Jesus at Christmas on his birth because they wanted to come and praise him. The angels sang and worshiped him. And so we would say that although the word adoration is not used in that passage of scripture, it does communicate their heart's desire to adore the Lord Jesus. I think the same can be found in the idea of Matthew chapter 2 that we'll look at. So let's define it if we can, as much as we can best describe it, knowing the word is not in the scriptures. The word adore then is to, to worship. Pastor Dave will dig into this word a little bit further next week. Or we could go on to say, to express reverence and to pay honor. Sometimes the word used there is to pay homage while conveying a deep love and awe or a sense of awesomeness about God. So this idea of adoration is, is not just a mind thing. It's a heart thing that expresses my love my worship, my praise, my heartfelt deepness for who God is in my relationship with him. And as a result of that, then, I stand in all of him. Now, the devotionals that you're going to read through this week, I've written some in there to help you, even as you move through the day now this week, the, the daily uh, readings for the week, of certain things that I think you can do that are an expression of your adoration for God as a, as a deep-felt way of expressing that. Let's go to the Matthew, or Matthew 2. You're in 12, so just hold on there. I'm going to put this one on the screen. But here's another example of this word adoration. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many wise men came from the east? Good. 
If you were going to say three, you weren't going to get one of the gifts laying on the platform today, okay? Somehow, I think we connected the three with the fact there were three gifts given. Therefore, there were three. And then, you know, the major scenes that we often see around Christmas are the shepherds around, baby Jesus is here, Mary and Joseph, and all of a sudden the wise men pitch up at the Bethlehem scene, right? Is that true? Uh, no, they, they, came, they came much later than that. Months later than that, if not even two years later, this passage is now what happens as the wise men come to adore Christ. Let me read the rest of it. From the east they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he, where is Jesus, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to, what's the next word? We've come to worship him. That's our word adoration is that context of this, this word worship here. So the wise men come out of an expression of a heart's desire to praise God, to worship him, to show their their awe of the new baby born. And so this word then we could go on to define then to worship or to adore is to worship, to express reverence and pay honor while conveying a deep love and awe. And it says, here's a, 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 a simple way of describing adoration. It's Jesus above all else. So my heart's desire as a follower of Jesus Christ is that I would express through my, not only my words, my actions, uh, my demeanor, everything about me that I adore Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that I express that adoration for Jesus Christ then is that I place Jesus Christ above all else. Above all else. I'm going to give you a little exercise in a few minutes that will help with that. So here's what you have to think about. Pull back, get the big picture is, where am I in the context of Jesus in my life being above all, above all others? Because there are a lot of things that we may say are really awesome. There might be a lot of things that we say we even adore, all right? I know I don't look this old, but we're grandparents. And actually, we have eight grandchildren, And I never, ever, ever dreamed that you could possibly love grandchildren, um, don't let my children hear this, more than you love your own children. But there is something that happens in that process, and every grandparent raise your hand and say, I feel it, I know exactly what you're talking about, is an expression because, one, all the pressure's off to make them turn out okay, right? I mean, that's all. And they look like your child. They look like your son-in-law, whatever it might be. And so this idea of even placing ourselves above even our, our own children. Because sometimes in the family, sometimes in the home, we can even idolize our own children to the point that they would be above all else. They would be above even Jesus. And so we have to be careful about the way that we do this. A.W. Tozer has written, I think I've got a couple quotes in here for today. Adoration is an important aspect of my personal worship of God. This cannot be worked out by any human effort, but rather made incandescent by the fire of the Holy Spirit in my life. My worship of God must be the sense of awful wonder and adoration to love, yearn, and to wait for God. So the way that we could define this in a very simple way would be to say then, Jesus, you are, with our adoration for you, you are above all else. 
And you have to ask yourself the question, is that really true of my life? You see, the Jews really struggle with this concept because Jesus was coming as the Messiah, and he was saying, I am God. Therefore, Jesus wanted their worship of him. But they said, we can't can't worship you. That would be like making you an idol, and we can only worship God. Jesus says, I am God. I am God. I want you to come and worship me. And so the whole idea of idols robs us of this idea of adoration. Let's look at the second part then as adore as seen in the last and best question ever. Okay, you got your place in Mark chapter 12. Let me do this as a way of expressing it because the word isn't used here, but the expression of the word adoration is used in this text. So Mark chapter 12, as we begin to read through it, I have it on the screen as well, is what we refer to as the greatest question ever. And also I think you should refer to it as the last question that Jesus received, that he actually answers in the text. So when you move through the Gospels and you, you have all these questions firing at Jesus, this is probably the most important question he ever got because it answers a question that you and I need to know about. And second of all is that it communicates the idea that, um, that it gets to the heart of who we are and what it is that we need to do. So let me pick it up then and describe this last and best question ever. And one of the scribes, okay, and I'm going to put in there some information from Matthew that helps us with the passage of Scripture just in a, in a very small way, but the parentheses is mine. And one of the scribes who Matthew describes as a lawyer came and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked, and Matthew says in order to test Jesus, to ask Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all. Okay, so for the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes are all trying to one-up each other in here. So the Pharisees say, hey, the scribes are going to go answer this question. Let's hear what Jesus has to say because he's probably going to embarrass them. And so Jesus gives the answer to the question, but you need to understand contextually within the concept of the way this question was asked that it's a little different than we might think of it. For, for them, there were 613 commandments. And what they would do is they'd take these commandments and they would, they would break them into heavier and lighter commandments because 613, frankly, was too much. And yet James tells us in his, in his book that if you've offended God in even one of those, then you've offended in what? You've offended in all of them. But they were trying to accomplish being righteous before God, doing things right before God, and wanted to complete and and actually be good on all 613. So this is a really, really good question because it gets at the heart. Of the 613, which one, which one, Jesus, is most important? Jesus' answer goes like this. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So Jesus says, listen. He knew exactly what they were getting at. He says, okay, of the 613, there's there's just this one. You need to love the Lord your God. And he's standing right before you. He doesn't say that in the text, but that's what he's getting at. This is at the end of the gospel. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might or all of your strength. I think what Jesus is getting at is this whole idea of 
of adoration in the text here. Now, you and I face all kinds of demands. We have all kinds of things around us, but what is the greatest commandment for you? Read on in the text. And then Jesus adds a bonus to that. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. So now it's like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just gave us the greatest commandment. Now you're telling us there's a second. Jesus says, yeah, there's a second. And this, this will set the whole world on fire, that I want you to love the person sitting next to you. I want you to love the people in your home. I want you to love the people in your neighborhood. I want you to love the people in your office. I want you to love the people in your shop. I want you to love people who hate you as much as you love even your own self. They're pulling back now. Okay, we got the greatest. We got the second greatest. And their, their minds and hearts are beginning to spin. And listen how he comes back to Jesus. And the scribe said to him, you are right. Now, what we don't get in the text is to understand how his response would have been when he says, you are right. Does he go like, you are right. Yeah, right. Was it that kind of response? Or was it, oh, yeah, Jesus, you, you, you're right. So we're not sure exactly how he says it, but I think he's getting to the idea, this is a very sincere question, looking for a, a very sincere answer that he gets. You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's a beautiful response to what Jesus has said. And he even goes on to say, this last part about burnt offerings and sacrifices is to say, even my greatest reflections of obedience to you is not greater than my love for you. And that was real important for them to hear because, remember, it's commandments. It's do this, it's do that, it's do this, it's do that. It's do good, fail, do good, fail, 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 do good, do good, fail. It was just this horrible cycle they were on. Jesus makes it plain. I just want you to love me. I want you to adore me. And then Jesus said, and when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The questions are now off the scene. This is the last one that gets answered. And Jesus' response is amazing. It's you're not far from the kingdom of God. I think that's a reflection of saying to the guy who sincerely wants to know about the greatest commandment, you, you are close to understanding. We would say you're close to understanding the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being born again. Okay, Some of you are in that spot right now, and I don't know who's who. But there are people all the time in our midst, all the people trying to discover who Jesus Christ is, could even have a very religious background but sometimes we get as close to the kingdom of God as we can, but we never bow before the Savior in adoration, ask him to forgive us of our sins, to save us, to grant us eternal life, and to someday enter heaven. You don't naturally get through that process. It is a response of adoration to a conversion in a person's life. So it's possible that you even grew up in a church. People will say to me, well, Tom, my grandpa was a, was a pastor. You know, we've been in the cloth for years, you know, something like that. And you're like, well, when did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I've always been a Christian. Really? How did you? It, you see this cycle that we go through. Jesus is saying, I want you to love me. 
I want you to adore me with, with all of your heart. To place me then, Jesus, above, above all else. So let's look at the second part of this then. Adore as seen in the last and best question. Which commandment is most important? Because they're looking at this. And you and I would think this is the same thing, right? Okay, I know there's the Ten Commandments, and they're probably the highest, Jesus, that you want me to follow. The first four look like they're, they're about you and me understanding who you are. But then the next six are talking about my relationship with other people around me. And somehow if I can get these ten right, then surely I'll be okay. The answer is you shall love and adore God with your full being. Now listen, the text I'm reading this morning is not new to most of you. However, in that is the question of are you actually living it out in full adoration for Jesus Christ? And you're doing it in a way that would look like this. Often what we do in the area of heart, mind, and soul when we get to this is we we compartmentalize these parts of who we are. This is the immaterial part of who we are. Okay, when we die, this shell, this body goes into the ground or gets burnt through cremation, depending on how that is played out for us. The heart, mind, and the soul is your being. It is who you are. And often we compartmentalize heart, mind, and soul. But what you need to understand, what Jesus is talking about, is he's overlapping all of these on top of each other. It's the, it's the full knowledge. It's the full immaterial part of who you are. Now, that's important in the context of the passage of Scripture because Jesus answers the question and says, I want you to love me with all of you. With all of you. So as a father of Jesus Christ, I've got to ask myself the question, is there a part of me that I'm even holding back in my full adoration for God? And am I doing the things that he desires for me to do? Back to Tozer. Adoration is the state of adoring. It means to love with all the power within us. It means to live with fear and wonder and yearning. Our trouble is that we have hearts as big as the world. But the objects of our love are the little, the little peas in the pod. That is what is the matter with people out of the world. God has given them the ability to love, and they cannot find anything worthy of that love. Is that not a description of the world that we live in? Listen to me. From Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and Ecclesiastes chapter 3, particularly look at verse 11 in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has placed in the heart of every single person a yearning for him. He made you that way. You have been made in the image of God. You have been created to be like God in who he made you to be. And in that making of who you are that deals with your heart, your mind, and your soul, you were made to worship someone. You were made that way. You, you can't even help it. So as a result, Jesus Christ was born at Christmas, lived the perfect life, died, was buried, was resurrected, was seen by many, and then ascended back into heaven, which is where he is today. Okay, the idea being that that is that is the story of his life that he desires for you to follow and to come after. So to adore as seen then through, if we think about this, the the adoration then is seen through 
our priorities. Okay, I'm going to get a little too close to the scene now, so bear with me as we think about this, because I just made a quick list of seven here. These are seven things that we probably somewhere, and if you're married and you have children, it probably fits you better. So if you're a single person, you could create your own list of seven things. Okay? But every person's life, you, you will worship, you will adore someone or something. It's, it, it's who you are. So for us, we could probably make a list and say, okay, it looks something like this. Children, church, God, love my neighbor. Because I remember that passage in, in Mark 12, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, let's put that one on the list. Parents, spouse, work, da, 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 da. The problem is, how do you, how do you sort out what's first and what's second and what's third? Because he said the greatest commandment, who's first? Who's first on the list? And I think we would probably do that, right? We would probably say that biblically, if you said, okay, Tom, you got to take those seven things and you got to compartmentalize those into a list of the seven priorities. And it might go something like this. God is first. Okay, we'd all, would, you agree, would you agree with that? Okay, then second, I would probably say as a husband, as a, as a man who's married to my beautiful wife, Nancy, that Nancy would be second in that relationship. And then probably comes next is our four daughters and, and their families. And then Scripture says that I'm to honor my parents, you know, my mother and father. And so my parents got to be on the list somewhere. And then church, God desires that all followers of Christ be actively involved in the community. The church, got that thing about my neighbor. And then don't tell your employer I put work number seven, okay? But it's way down the list, isn't it? Seriously, in priorities, I know you spend most of your life there, but it's not your highest priority. It's what provides for you, but God never intended it to be so high on the list, or did he? Because here's what happens with this list. This is what crazy. This is, why, this is why Jesus' commandment needs to be understood, because this list gets out of whack all the time. You could be moving through a certain kind of week, and I'm telling you, particularly this time of the year, is work not elevated to like, boom, right? Like, Work is like, work feels like is number one, right? Because I just got to get through the next, how many of you got just one more week maybe or something like that, and then your, your company's going to close down, you're going to have a bit of a break. Could be you just have issues with your children you're dealing with also, and the children are moving to first. So does that mean you knock God down to second? I mean, how does this thing work? When Jesus gave the answer to the, to the greatest commandment, this is the picture that he had in mind. I trust this will help you. When, he, when Jesus says, I want you to put me first and above all else, this is the way he designed you to live for him and how you can adore him. Because when you place Jesus that you're going to love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, what you're saying is, I'm going to take Jesus and become a follower of Jesus, be born again, and I'm going to put Jesus first in all these areas of my life. So when I make decisions about what's next and how I'm going to go about that, I'm, I'm going to Jesus and I'm saying, Jesus, what, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to take this job? Is this job going to draw me away from you? Is this job going to draw me closer to you? The way I relate to my children? Whatever it might be is just place what Jesus is getting at is place him in the center of all those things going on around you because he wants to be first. Parents, when you place your children and you literally, whether you recognize it or not, you move them up to number one, you have displaced God and you have robbed God of his glory and you become a glory thief. 
That's what you do. It happens with work. It happens with our parents, whatever it might be. God is saying, I want to be first. Now, let's take a look at that in relationship to Christmas, because this is, this is how we can put Jesus first in Christmas. In just some practical ways, you can come up with what else might be on your will of things that you're dealing with. But just as a quick list, we're dealing with families. Hey, some of you, <laughs> over the next two weeks, three weeks, are going to be with family you don't even like. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. You may not like them, but I, would, I, I want you to love them. I want you to love them the way that I would love them. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to one-up them on anything. You just need to love them the way that I love you because they're your neighbor, and I want you to love them that way. Holiday plans. Can we afford to take a break? Finances is a huge part of this year. Uh, work and the pressures of school, most of that's coming to a close. Parties and gifts. Some parents will go into debt this Christmas to get their kids some elaborate thing. And you've got to ask yourself the question, is, is that going to adore Jesus this year, this Christmas? So again, Jesus above all else. Put him above all those other things. And it's not like walking in a room saying, hey, anybody in here know Jesus Christ? I know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hell, man. Get with the program. What is going on? It's not that kind of abrasive thing, right? You know that. It's a very gentle, loving response that's an expression, not even necessarily from the head, but from the heart. And often the heart can't even express that as adoration to God. Well, let's close with the application then, and then we'll be done. A door is seen in my life. Let me give you three or four or five. I can't remember how many's on the list of some things that we can apply ourselves to. The first is to adore him with unrestraint. So I think sometimes, <laughs> it's not going to be true of all of you, but it'll be true of some of you, in our conservative, evangelical, fundamental, whatever words you want to add to that, we find ourselves being very constrained in our expression of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not charismatic, but I wish I were in some ways. Some of you, if adoration is a, is a symbol of your worship to God, some of you worship God, and it looks like, without trying to look around, it looks like you do that with your whole being. Some worship with their hands in their pocket, and they are looking around to see who's here today. And the ladies are saying, I can't believe she wore that dress with those shoes. That doesn't even, doesn't even match. It's like, you know. And, and we're, missing the whole, we're missing the whole adoration thing because we've got our minds and hearts on other things. You know, I've said for years here, Pastor Mark, this ought to help you face everybody to the back. I, I still think the best action's happening right in the front rows up here. If I were in the back during, during the worship time, and I realize it's just a part of your adoration, I would, be, I would be distracted by the people that came in late. I would be distracted by that fan sitting next to me. I'm like right up front because I don't want to miss anything. And it's true when I get to heaven. You're going to have to fight me to get to the throne because I want to be up close. I want to be near Jesus. Okay, so this idea of unrestraint, if you're a conservative person or you're kind of a low-key, um, what's the word that we use for that? 
Not if you're an outgoing person, then you're an introvert, maybe. Maybe that's a, Express it, though. Express it in ways that you can express it because it's a heartfelt reflection of who you are in Christ. The second this, then, is to adore him deeply. When your adoration is like surfacy and it's kind of like, mm, I'm just kind of moving through this thing, and you, you find your heart not moved by much of anything, you need to question why that is. I was here, I haven't been here for a year, and that was very intentional on my part. I think all of you know we intentionally stayed away so that Pastor Mark could spread his wings. He didn't need me looking over his shoulder. It was hard to be away. I was back a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, for the um, baptism service and the new members that were joining. It was a great Sunday to be back for our first Sunday, and it was amazing. Do you know what? In that service, I was deeply moved by what was happening in the service because I was watching people express themselves through baptism of a change that God had made in their life. As a result of that, my own adoration was, this is amazing. It's amazing what God has done for you. It's just, just awesome. It's absolutely adorable. So to love him deeply. Third is this, is to, do, to adore him joyfully. Some of us naturally have a frown on our face. Is that not true? I, I, if, when I see pictures of myself, I'm like, why am I looking so mean and mad all the time? And so I have to smile to make myself look jolly. This isn't an artificial jolly. This is a heartfelt joy that you love Jesus Christ so much. Your adoration for him just spills over in who you are and who you are. Hey, think about it this way. Your phone rings, okay, ding, 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 whatever kind of ring you have on your phone, and you look over and you see the name on that screen of your phone that's ringing. Now, if that name that comes up there has you going like, whoo, yeah, let me answer this thing. Oh, I don't want to miss it. I'm going to slide over. You answer the call because you can. If the name comes up and you look at the screen, you're going like, uh, I thought my phone was on silence. Yeah, it is on silence. You know, I put my phone away. How do people, how do people respond when your name comes up on their phone? It's probably an expression of where you are in relationship to other people. Like, I can't wait to talk to her. I can't wait to talk to him. They're so, they're so encouraging. They're so uplifting for me. It's a joyful experience, this adoration. And then second to last is adore him with contentment. Some of us continue to chase and to chase and to chase with adoration. And we're chasing the wrong things. In this adoration is the sense that I am totally content who I am in Christ, what he has made me, and where I am in my life. And all of us are in places of being un- unrestful or, or, or just restless or whatever. We all, we all get, Nancy and I are in a place like that right now. Finishing up our work in Hermas, we're thinking about what's next for us. We're praying, we're searching out what that might look like. Um, and in that, adoration says, I'm totally content. I am totally happy with where you have me, despite my ability to understand all that's circling around me. I don't have to know. Deuteronomy 29.29, look it up. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, who are you, paraphrase, who are you to completely understand the ways of the Lord? You can't. Contentment says, I don't have to know. I don't have to understand. I don't have to all the answers. And I do that out of adoration. And then the last is this, is that I adore him just completely.
completely. Above all else is to adore Him completely. Completely. So let's close, and then we're going to pray together. I think we're going to do a closing song. This is, this picture here is absolutely, absolutely adorable. It's adorable. The, the season that we celebrate is this picture. It's a cheesy picture, but it's the best we can do. We don't, didn't have cameras, right? But you can imagine when she leaned over and she looked at him. And I don't doubt that she said, you are absolutely, absolutely adorable. And she meant it different than like the dog or like the little child with the phone. As followers of Jesus Christ, this is pure adoration. You come into the season with God's desire that you would fully, with every part of you, adore him as the baby who came for your salvation. Absolutely adorable. This is absolutely adorable. It's adorable. He's the one you worship. He's the one you sing about that you adore with all of your heart. And yet we look at this and we think, oh, it's so, it's so bad, it's so evil that Jesus Christ had to die such a horrible death. This was God's darling of heaven placed in, in this arena and this scene, so that he could be, what's the word? Totally adored. Totally adored. Adorable. And then last, part of our Advent series, our anticipation series, is the adoration, the full-on that he's coming, he's coming back for us. There is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so in our living out this life is to live it with a, with a, a people and a person who expresses this adoration for who he is until he comes for us. Just the way you saw me leave is the same way you're going to see me coming back. I'm coming back for you. Don't lose hope. Do not be discouraged. In the meantime, love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, every part of you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Adore. Adore me. Until I come. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.